just awesome. Um, today is Palm Sunday. How exciting. You know what I love about this season? One of the many things I love about this season is everybody at least is aware that we're in a season that is only a season because of Jesus. Yeah, you know, you walk into Walmart, of course, it's bunnies and, you know, fake grass and, and Easter eggs and all that. But they still know it's about this. It is about this. And we know that. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Christmas time when, you know, we can get upset about Santa and missing the point. But they are in this mode and it's our joy to be able to share and celebrate and help people see the true meaning. And it's our holiday. We can talk about it and tell people about it and celebrate what it really is. I love that. And as you go through this next week, I want to encourage you just to maybe read through the Gospels and these, this time. You know, we call it Holy Week because there's a lot of the Gospels take part and take effect in, in this week. And you can kind of line up, okay, it was during this time on Monday, this, this is what Jesus was doing, and then this was happening on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then as you get closer and closer to Good Friday, it's an exciting time. This day in particular, though, Palm Sunday commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this is the day where they waved palms and celebrated him as the new coming king and the heir of the throne of David, and they lifted him up and they honored him as he should have been honored. And it was really the capstone of three years of an amazing ministry, a ministry that nobody expected and a ministry that, that happened in a way that nobody expected. And you've heard this a million times, but people had this preconceived idea of what the Messiah would be and, and how he would be. And some of them looked at him as he would be a military conqueror or, or some social engineering guru who would change all the social norms. What he really came to do was to change their hearts. Some people missed it because of that. And he came to earth in such a normal way. It's, it's so different than what we would have done. And I've, I've said this many times, but if, if I were God and I was going to send my son, I would send him differently, right? Kind of like a Greek God, really, you know, and this, this better-than-life human body with all these superpowers. And thank God he didn't do it that way. He sent him as a helpless little baby, born to a, to a young couple, and he had to grow up just like you and me, and his, most of his life was lived in obscurity in a village outside of the mainstream of the populace. Even though his father had royal lineage in his blood, he wasn't born into a royal family per se. They weren't socially well-adjusted. They weren't wealthy they weren't controlling in power in any way. They weren't part of the religious establishment or the government. He had none of the earthly trappings that you would notice and think, hey, look, there's the Son of God. And he did that on purpose. Because he came to rule in your heart, not rule in your mind or in your ego. He came to rule in a way that wasn't expected by the people. And as he came, he taught people everywhere he went. And he called disciples. And again, he called, he called followers that weren't the ones you would think. He didn't pull them out of office and he didn't pull them off, off the stage. He pulled them right out of you and the crowd out of you and me. That's who he was. And that's how he did it. And as he called them, he, he taught the people about God. They, they, they had all these misconceptions about God. And it wasn't as if God had not revealed himself in understandable ways. It's just once he had revealed himself to them, man had gotten a hold of it and twisted it. And 
They'd worshipped God for centuries, but the God, the way they were worshipping him was as if he was far away and distant from them. And They worshipped him as if a God they couldn't know. They sacrificed sins to, or sacrificed animals to cover up their sins, and they, they added all these rules to follow. That's not the God that, they wanted, that he wanted them to see. They didn't have direct access to God. But when Jesus came, he changed all of that. He came as a human being who they could relate to, and, and he introduced them to a God that they could actually know. And he told them that this God actually loved them enough that he numbered every hair on their head. I actually thought twice about using that line, particularly because for some of us, it gets to be less and less impressive as you get older. But, but the point is that he cared about them, and he told them that over and over. And for most of them, that was a new concept, because for most of them, they thought he only cared about the rich people. For most of them, they only thought he cared about those who had achieved some sort of status in their world, because those were the ones who were preaching to them about God. And then this lowly, itinerant preacher comes around and says, no, you got it wrong. He cares about you, and the hairs of your head are numbered. And you don't have fancy clothes, but look at the fields, and you see the flowers, and their, their, their garments are more beautiful than the richest king we've ever had. He was trying to tell them, there's a God, and I'm representing, I am him. What's sad, though, even the disciples didn't get it. They walked with him and didn't get it. If you look at John chapter 14, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's hard to imagine sometimes how more clear he could be, right? (laughs) If you had really known me, now these are the ones who had traveled with him for three years. You would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. It's as if Jesus is putting a billboard on himself and saying, I am him. What I've told you about him and taught you about him is the God you need to know. And I'm so thankful the Bible is so real. It is so real. It shows all of our mistakes, all of our humanness. Every one of us can relate to it. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip? He's like, you still don't know who I am. Like, you don't get it yet, son. And he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus did the same thing, not just with the disciples, but he introduced this God that they could relate to, to countless thousands of other people. When I say that word thousands, it's not as if it was just a few people following him. I mean, sometimes it was, but other times it was thousands. And we know that from when he feeds the 5,000 and it says that was just the men that they counted. I mean, it's possible there was 20,000 people there, and he was introducing them to a God who loved them, a God who was accessible, a God who they could know, a God who cared about them, a God who was personal, a God who knew their name, a God who knew when they had problems, a God who was near, a God who loved them, a God who cared about them, a God who was personal, a personal God. That was new. It was revolutionary. He had all the good qualities, all of them but in the right balance. He had love in balance, not out of balance like sometimes we are maybe with our grandchildren or maybe how Santa is. You know, Santa's supposed to be, you know, keeping a list and all that, but he still gives you presents no matter what, right? Some people get the idea God's more like a genie and if you just go to him with your three wishes often enough, and he changed all that. 
He tried to help him understand. He said, anything you ask for in my name. He tried to help him see it. God is not a capricious God or a cruel and an angry God. And he did things over and over and over. He did good things to demonstrate this and show them time after time after time. For three and a half years, he did these things. He healed people, blind people, deaf people, people who couldn't speak, people who had life-controlling issues, whether that was demons that had possessed them or, or physical inabilities, you know, withered hands and crippled feet and on and on and on. He fed the hungry. He respected the women and the children in a, in a very paternalistic society. He was reorienting in their minds who God was. He raised the dead right in front of them. I, I wonder what that could have been like. Can you imagine just to have been walking with Jesus and wondering, what's going to happen today? Oh, my goodness. It would have been amazing, wouldn't it? You would have never known what would be next. But not everybody was really as excited as, as I think I would have been. I hope I would have been. Because there was already a religious establishment And almost everything Jesus did and said rubbed them wrong and offended them because he was more popular than them. And for them, they would sit back and wait for the crowds to come, and they didn't come. But for Jesus, he would walk around, and they would follow him everywhere. They would follow him into the wilderness where there was no food, and then he would feed them. That had to be so demoralizing to them and offensive to them. And they were the ones who they felt that they were right, and who is this guy, and who does he think he is? They couldn't take that. He spoke with someone who had authority, almost like he wrote the stuff down in the first place. He was changing everything. He was changing the power structure, and and people didn't respect him as much as they wanted to be respected, and they knew what was happening. They knew if they followed him, that means they wouldn't be following them, and and they wouldn't be as important, and they wouldn't be as, as rich anymore, and because of those things, they were really unhappy. Not only that, for them, they preached it in a way that the the poor were less than and the outcasts were less than, and yet Jesus said they weren't, and Jesus went and preached to them. They didn't like that. We looked at this passage of Scripture Wednesday night, and I think it's important to look at it again in Mark chapter 3. This is just a little picture of what was going on in that world and the conflict that was brewing all the time between Jesus and the religious establishment. And not only the conflict that was brewing between Jesus and the religious establishment, but also what he was doing was teaching people about God and who God really cared about. And the, the stark example of the fact that the religious establishment didn't care about the people And Jesus was constantly telling them, no, you've got it all wrong. There is a God in heaven, and I am that God, and I care. Look at this. He says, Jesus went into the synagogue. You would think this would be the place where people would care. It would be a church setting like this. And he noticed a man with a deformed hand. How many people go by unnoticed? Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. It's amazing, isn't it? How could you think he'd have any enemies? Who could be against a man who did these things and was so good? And they watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. You know they had all these rules built in to make sure they didn't break into the Ten Commandments. Some of the rules went so far and they were so meticulous. Yet we do the same thing, don't we? We justify ourselves. We say, I can get this close to the line, but not over. 
Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everybody. I got to be honest, I love this about our Jesus. He didn't back down to that nonsense. He wasn't going to be cowed by them and their religious authority or their uniforms or whatever they wore. And none of that was going to change his mission because he loved you too much. And he loved that man too much. There was no way he was going to let that come in front of making sure that he was healed that day. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? You know what he's saying there? He's saying that to not heal them would be doing evil. That's how he looks at your life and the things that you struggle with. They matter that much that for him not to do something about it is evil. Is it a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around to them angrily and deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Jesus even cares for those who are against him. That's hard for us, isn't it? <laughs> That's hard for us. You may have heard this before that, that um, there are some people who just ignore parts of the Bible. We would never do that, right? None of us, <laughs> right? It's all in there. Saddened their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And rather than people cheering and being happy about it, at once they went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This is right before what we're celebrating today. I mean, it's happening almost if you could, you know, put yourself back thousands of years and be right there. It would be happening during this time frame here. And they start to plot. So I started thinking, well, who, who done it? Who killed him? There's a lot of plotters mentioned there. You had the religious establishment plotting. You had, they were going to go plot with Herod, the government. That would be representing the, the Romans. And throughout history, people have asked this question as if it was hard to figure out. Who did do it? Who plotted there? Was it the Jews? Should we be mad at the Jews for them not recognizing their Messiah and plotting against him? Should we be mad at the Romans for what they did? I mean, they're the ones who did the final act, and they're the ones who swung the hammer. Should we think about it like in Mel Gibson's The, the Passion of the Christ? You've probably heard this before, but in that, in that movie, as that hammer is hitting the nail that's going to his hand, that Mel himself held the hammer because he felt like he killed Jesus. That you killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. Who did it? Who did it? It's important to think about. Who, who did it? Who was the one who planned and executed the murder of Jesus? You know who it was? It was God himself. It was premeditated. But it was God himself. It was God himself. He, he predicted it. He prepared it. He planned it. He timed it. He approved it. The death of his own son. Hundreds of years before the actual event happened. We can even look in the book of Revelation. It's in this portion of scripture. It's, it mentions the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The lamb, Jesus, slain from the foundation of the world. I know you can do the math there. That was before there were Jews. Before there were Romans, Gentiles, before you, before me. Who does that? Why would he do that? Why would God plan ahead to kill his son? It's one of those things that you think about. And God, could there have been another way? Could there have been any other way you could have done this? 
In our human fight night, as you know, sometimes you may do this, you may not, but just think, God, if the world had been made like this and this and this and this, and even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays to God, and he says, God, if there could be another way. He didn't take it lightly. This wasn't something he just haphazardly thought about. It wasn't something that he just threw together in the last minute. It wasn't as if all of this caught him by surprise and he said, oh, I got to figure something out. Hey, what's in my, okay, let's try this. No, no, he knew. He knew what it was going to take. He knew about it because he knew who we were. The Bible says that Hebrews, with his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. That's what Jesus did. Why would do that? Why would God do that? Why would God pay his own penalty with his own son? For some people, this makes them think, oh, this is crazy. I can't, I can't do this. It just doesn't make any sense. But here's how it makes sense. We serve a God who loves us. And think about how this works. He creates people because he wants to have a relationship with us. And for that to happen, he knows that he has to give you free will. He knows that for you to freely choose him, you have to have also the freedom to not choose him. The freedom for you to love means that you have to have the freedom to hate or to be indifferent, which is really the opposite of love. For you to do good, you have to have also the freedom to not do good. Inherent in that choice, God knew there was going to be a price to be paid and that you as a human being would not always choose good. He knew it. But the cost of that was love and a real loving relationship with you and it was worth it. It chokes me up to think because there's a lot of pain in our world and some people look at the pain and they say, I don't agree. It wasn't worth it. But there's a God in heaven who loves you and desired a relationship with you to that depth and that enormity that it was worth it to him. And he knew the cost before any of this happened. And he knew the cost could only be paid with his own son and a sacrifice that dear. I think about this sometimes, and I know I'm weird to do it, but I think about it. How long did he think about it? How long did he carry the weight of knowing his son would die in the way he would die? And it was still worth it for you. For you. It was worth it for you. And Jesus knowing that he would carry that cross. But he was willing to do it for you. And the weight of it was worth it for you. I don't know. I think I would have started over. I would have said these humans aren't worth it. They're too fickle. I'm going to make another model. That's going to choose better. Who does it? Who does this? I know for me, I look at it and I say, God, I'm not worth it because I know who I am. I'm not worth it. And you know what he answers? I know, but you are worth it. And I did it for you. We serve a God who says, I know you're weak and I know you're frail, but I did it anyway. I did it for you. God knows us and he loves us anyway. I, I I wrote this up here. It's not about you doing and doing and doing and doing and you trying to do better and, and work harder and try harder and harder and harder and harder. Because no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be perfect enough. The thing is, he redeems us. And then when he does, it's, it's different. It's not about doing. It becomes about being because we want to then do the right things. He works in us 
to make us different that way. And he knows who we are. Back in the book of Psalms, uh, the, the, the psalmist writes this. And this is long, but I want, you to, I want it to sink into your heart because there's a God. He knows our frailty. Look at this. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all of my sins and heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. That is a loving God. That's the God Jesus was telling everybody about. He fills me with life, uh, fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and the deeds of the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve, thank God. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And he's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. That is so overwhelming. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Only dust. So yeah, premeditated. Oh yeah, it was premeditated. But don't think of it as premeditated murder. That wouldn't be right. It's, it's premeditated grace. That's what it is. He planned it. He planned it before the time in eternity. But he planned it as grace. Not only that, it was premeditated forgiveness. Because he knew our frailty. And he planned ahead of time to reach out to you and give you what you needed to restore that relationship with him. That's who he is. Paul said it like this in Ephesians. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come to him boldly and confidently into God's presence. When I think of all this, Paul says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, your roots will go down, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. (laughs) And now, may you experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of of life and a power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to God, to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Say this with me. Amen. Amen. Can I have the worship team join me up here? Who does that work? Who does it? How many of you think you could get it done? You can't. He knew it. That's why he did it. He did that work. He did that work. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. We trust him. We trust in him. You, you see who he is and his character. You learn that he's someone who could be trusted. And you trust in him. Then he, through your faith, starts to work a change in your heart. He starts to work in you. I was thinking about this the other day. We, we talked about being free last week. Remember I told you about me riding the bike and hitting the brick wall? Remember that? 
Some of you are like, oh, that explains a lot. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. You've heard the saying, right? It's just like riding a bike. And what does that imply? That you never forget, right? Here's the problem. Yeah, you, you never forget, but what we forget is how we learned. Yeah, yeah, you never forget how to ride a bike, but a lot of times you forget how you learned. Because the fact is, when you learn to ride a bike, most people, it didn't happen immediately. Now, we got three kids. Some were quicker than others. I get that. But that's the same as us. When you learn to, to trust him and then to have faith in him and then let him do changing in you, that was a process you walked through. And there were some stumbles and some skin knees, maybe, and some scary, wobbly moments and some times where you fell off and thought, I'm not getting on that again. And hopefully there was someone there to encourage you and say, no, you can do it. And I'll help you do it. And I'll, I'll maybe hold the back of the seat and run alongside you. And pretty soon you're going to be riding this. We forget how we did it. <laughs> Sometimes we need to get back to that and we need to start trusting him again. And we need to start having faith again. And we need to have him start changing things in us again. And you need to get back up and start practicing again. For some of us, it works like that. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes all over the room. I do this just because I want you to be, be, be just you and God for a minute. You, God, and my voice. I'm wondering if there's anybody in here who maybe, maybe you've walked with Christ for a long time, but... There's been some things, maybe some tragedies or maybe some frustrations or maybe it's just gotten old to you for some reason and you've let it slip away a little bit. And you need to start again and trust him and to have that faith and let him do some changing. Anybody here like that, you just raise your hand and let us pray with you in a minute. Anybody at all. Appreciate your honesty before God. I see those hands and I appreciate that. I'm gonna ask a very important question and It'd be no better time than today for you to answer this. But I'm wondering if there's anybody in here that having heard all we've talked about today, that you maybe you're ready to trust him for the first time. Maybe you've considered it and you've been a little resistant, or maybe there's been things that you just didn't quite make sense, but you're thinking about it today and you're thinking, if there's really a God like that and he really loves me like that, then I'd be willing to trust him today and start that journey with him. Anybody like that today, you just raise your hand and we can pray with you. Anybody at all, if you just raise your hand for a second. Anybody at all. All right, would you stand with me, everybody in the room? We're going to close our service this way. We do this a lot, but we want to give a chance for people to be prayed for and to pray with. I'd like if our pastors' wives, board wives, prayer team wives can come on down. and If you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, it could be something you're struggling with. It could be something that maybe you had raised your hand for even, even when we, at the end of worship when we were praying for people. I'd like Danny Holloway, if you'd come down. I know he's having surgery on Tuesday and uh, he's having heart surgery. We want to pray with him. Frank Holzel's in the hospital. I mean, there's some things that we need to pray for and we want to pray for these things. And if you out there, you would pray along with us. I'm going to open this prayer time, though. I'm going to pray right now for us and those who raise their hands that you just need to trust him anew. Father God, we come before you today, and we're so grateful that you, the king of the universe, cared enough about us to send your son, knowing what would happen, knowing the sacrifice that you would have paid, the, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. God, we give ourselves to you. We give, our, we give you in all faith 
knowing that you love us and care about us, and we want to restart that journey with you. In the name of Jesus today, in the name of Jesus today, let's just spend some moments in prayer.